You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. chapter 12. Let's stand together out of reverence for the reading of Scripture. Uh, As a reminder, we do not believe that this is one book among many. Uh, This is the living word spoken by the living God. And so uh, we want to stand in reverence whenever he speaks. Ecclesiastes 12, I'm going to read verse 1 through verse 8 and then verse 13 and 14. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop and the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up, the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go out about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bow is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the wheel, at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter, the whole point of Ecclesiastes. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for each person who's here, for those who maybe are listening online. I pray that right now, um, if there's anything that I'm about to say that I don't need to say, just shut my mouth and I pray that you would speak through me clearly the words that we all need to hear today. Would you please help us not just to be an information dump? Um, <clears throat> would you please keep this from being just a religious box we check, especially those of us who grew up in church. Sunday mornings can just feel so routine. You are here, God. Holy Spirit, you are with us. And I pray that right now that you would move among us and that uh, through this word, which is active and living, that you would drive it deep into our hearts. And that we would become more of the people, more of the men, more of the women, more of the church which you've called us to be. And it's in Jesus' name I pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I came across an article this week with a headline that read, Google's co-founders and Silicon Valley billionaires are on a quest to live forever. Uh, the article went on to state that because of the startling reality that 150,000 people die every single day, a Nobel Prize winning scientists, icons from the entertainment industry, and tech billionaires um, are combining forces to, and I quote, cheat death by ending the aging process forever. It's a pretty lofty go, I think we would agree. Um, I admire their efforts. Um, however, after four years of work, the last I checked, the mortality rate is still 100%. And so what that means is no matter who you are or where you come from, whether you're rich or poor, young or old, educated or uneducated, uh, the truth is all of us one day will die. 
Uh, Tim Keller says it like this, staving off our own death is one of our favorite national pastimes. Whether it's exercise, checking out your cholesterol, or having a mammogram, we are always hedging against mortality. But despite our best intentions, death is still, for the most part, random. Isn't that true? And it is absolutely coming. Therefore, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family and successful with our career, death will inevitably ruin it all. Just here to encourage you this morning, everybody. So glad you can be here. What is Tim Keller saying? Well, he's saying the same thing that we see actually in Ecclesiastes 12. No matter who you are or what you've done or how much money you've built up in your bank account or what you've accomplished, you're going to die. You're going to breathe your last breath on earth. I don't know when it is. You don't know when it is. God knows when it is. You'll breathe your last breath on earth and you'll either be buried in a box or have your ashes spread at Crowley's Ridge or something, whatever your thing is. Um, and therefore, because that's true, the teacher, as we come to an end of our series, he wants to leave us with three kind of parting words. Uh, three things or three practices that if you will adopt it, will actually help you make the most of this very short life that you have left to live. And so um, the three things that I want us to look at today, they all start with an R, because I grew up Baptist, and that's just what you do. So every now and then it just comes out in me. I don't even mean for it to happen. It just happens naturally. It's kind of a gift, actually. Um, and so, but the three things that we're going to look at today is um, if we want to make our lives count, we need to rejoice, we need to remove, and we need to remember. I'll unpack all three. Rejoice, remove, remember, starting with rejoice. Look with me in chapter 11, actually, verse 7. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 7. Remember, our chapters and verses, those didn't actually happen until much later. Um, the Bible was just kind of like one letter, kind of one book. And so chapter 11 and verse 12 actually work together. And if you look in verse 7... Here's what the teacher says. Light is sweet and it pleases the eye to see the sun. So yeah, life is short, but guess what? Life is also good. Uh, there are days when you wake up and you don't have any back pain and you can breathe out both nostrils and the sun is shining, unlike today, and the birds are singing and your favorite song is playing. There are days where you get to have a delicious meal with your family or, or laughter with your friends. And therefore, verse 8, however many years anyone may live, we don't know how many they are, but however many you may live, let them enjoy them all. Or it could be translated, rejoice in them all. In other words, don't take a single day for granted. Like, don't take a single moment for granted. Like, don't take this for granted. Enjoy the simple Everyday pleasures of life. Enjoy what you have while you have it. But then look at verse 8. Remember the days of darkness. I mean, you know, the writer, he can't like focus on the positive. The teacher can't focus on the positive like too long. He has to get back to reality. That's, that's what I love about Ecclesiastes. Remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Now, if you remember, what is the Hebrew word for meaningless? Hevel, right? And, and hevel means what? smoke or vapor or mist. And so what he's saying is not that, that there's nothing that really has any meaning in life. He's just saying whatever comes your way, good, bad, ugly, it's all going to be temporary. It's smoke. It's vapor. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. Therefore, verse nine, look at his conclusion from this. Uh, you who are young, be happy. Be happy. Notice, by the way, that that's not wishful thinking. Like, uh, you know, it'd be great if you could be happy. That's not a suggestion. Like, this is a command. It is a imperative meaning. And I know we talked about this a few weeks ago in the Advent series on joy, but I want to mention it again. Despite popular belief, please hear me, happiness and joy is not random emotions that just fall on you out of nowhere. 
Like, like, like you actually have control over whether or not you are happy or you rejoice. Like, like happiness and joy is something we can actually choose to do and are expected to do in obedience to God and the writings of the scriptures. And, and I just want to stop and say this, by the way. Um, if you hear me say that and you're like, wait a minute, to be joyless is a sin. Like, 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 like if I'm not happy, I'm sinning. Like I'm not walking in step with God's commands. Like, oh great. Like that's just another area I suck. Like, like if that's what you're tempted to do, that's your self pity talking. Like, like that's pride talking. And so what I want to encourage you to do is listen, um, silence that voice. I like, don't call that honesty. Like silence that voice and listen to the voice of God. And I want to encourage you, uh, when it comes to joy, when it comes to happiness, just come to a place you say, okay, God, you know what? Like you win on this topic. Like I believe you know more than I do. And if you command me to laugh, then I actually have the ability to laugh. I have the, uh, the ability to be joyful, to lighten up, to loosen up, to live a happy life, to rejoice in what you have given me. You know, one of the most discouraging things for me as a parent is whenever my wife and I do something for our kids and they're completely ungrateful for it. I don't know if anybody else has children like that. Maybe it's just ours. I don't know. But last year, we took our kids to Disney World. And if you've ever gone to Disney World, you know you don't just like wake up one day and be like, what do you want to do today? I don't know. Let's go to Disney World, right? Like it takes a lot of planning and preparation and resources. And, and my wife and I, we had a, a sum of money last year that we're like, hey, let's do a big vacation. Haven't done a big vacation, but let's do it. Should we do something just for you and me? We're like, no, let's do it for the kids. So we planned this big trip to Disney World because if you don't go to Disney World, right, you're a terrible parent, says the culture. So we're going to go to Disney World, right? We're going to be good parents for once. And so like we pack up, we go to 12 hours, we get to Disney World, and we're like, you know, we have the matching shirts, and we're so excited, and we're trying to get the kids excited, and, and before we know it, probably 25, 30 minutes in, you know what they're doing? Complaining. It's so hot, right? The lines are so long. I'm like, if I, I mean, I honestly, like, I wanted to strangle my kids in that moment. I'm like, you should thank the God of heaven and earth. You even get to see Mickey Mouse, right? It's like, there's starving kids in Asia who'd love to be here right now. And I just, I was like, oh, it was just so discouraging. And I started thinking this week, like, man, as much as we want to see our kids be grateful for good gifts and enjoy the good gifts we give them, like how much more does our good heavenly father want us to enjoy the gifts that he gives us? The gifts that we often take for granted. How about this? The fact that we can breathe right now without an oxygen mask. Man, praise God, right? Thank you, Lord. We had a beautiful winter snow. That's awesome. It's beautiful, right? Like, like good soup. My wife made a, a great uh, uh, meat and vegetable soup, a beef and vegetable soup this week. It was great. I thank you, God, for the taste buds. Like, this is what the teacher is, is saying. Like, if you want to live well, you want to experience life to the fullest, the first thing he says today is, look, rejoice in the life that you have, not the life that you wish you had. Rejoice in the life that you have right now. Maybe some of you had a, a, a fight with your spouse this morning. Like, hypothetically speaking, maybe I had a a fight with my uh, spouse this morning, okay? Um, Rather than complaining about your spouse, thank God that you still have a spouse that you can argue with. Um, Man, my kids make so many messes. So many messes. In fact, one of the arguments my wife got into recently is like, why are our windows never cleaned? Like, is it, why, why, why can't we just clean our windows? You know, it's like, there's just smudges all over them. And you know, like rather than just complaining about that, like thank God you have kids who can make those messes. 
My wife was reminding me this morning very graciously of Haley Deck, who, you know, we've talked about this a couple of times in a conversation I had with Haley on the podcast. You know, she lost her two kids both in one day. And one of the last things she said she'd do before she moved out of their house is the last thing she did was she cleaned the smudges from her daughter that were on the windows because they were just a reminder of what that life was. Can you imagine? Thankful for, thank you God for those smudges. Rejoice in those smudges. Work was hard this week. It's easy to be able to complain about work. Thank God you have a job and you have a health to work that job. This is what the teacher is saying. And just to be clear, by the way, um, he, he's not saying you can't be sad. We've talked about that before, but I just want to say it again. He's not saying you can't be sad. In fact, I would say sorrow a lot of times is a appropriate and healthy response to living in a fallen and broken world. Verse 8, right? We see there's times to grieve. He says in verse 8, there are many days of darkness. Hey, this isn't naive optimism. This isn't artificial spirituality. This is, there's loss. There's pain. You should grieve those things. And yet, like the Apostle Paul, we must learn how to be sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. We must learn how to rejoice even when we're walking through life's darkest valleys. Verse 9, again, you who are young, be happy while you are young and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. And listen to this. This is crazy. I can't believe this is in the Bible. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. The teacher says, you know what? We live in a fallen world. It's a broken world. It's a hard world. It's a dark world, but it's also a beautiful world. It's a wonderful world. And therefore, enjoy the pleasures of life. Enjoy that cup of coffee. Enjoy a good steak. Enjoy nature. Enjoy the laughter of your children. Enjoy a football game or a baseball game or basketball or whatever your deal is. Follow, he says, the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Translation, listen to this. I can't believe this is in the scriptures. He says this, make the most of your life while you still can. Before you get old and you don't have the ability to enjoy your life, like pursue your desires. If something looks good, go after it. But, next line, before you think this is just a blank check to go and just do you, to do whatever your heart desires, look at this verse 9, but know this, that for all of these things, God will bring you into judgment. So yeah, follow your heart, do what you want to do, but remember, again, you're going to die. And when you die, you're going to stand before God and give an account for how you spent your very short life that he gave you. Guys, it is so important that we hear this. Please hear me. God loves you. And there's nothing you can do to change that. God loves you. But please hear me. Just because God loves you, it doesn't mean he affirms and okays every desire in your heart right now. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to man. This feels right. It looks right. It's got to be right. But in the end, it leads to death. And so pursue desires. But in doing so, he says, make sure that the desires of your heart are in line with the desires of the heart of God. Ray Ortland says this, there is no sloppy indifference in God. God is not apathetic. He doesn't look at the broken humanity and be like, ah, I really don't care about any of that brokenness. I really don't care about any of that sin. No, not at all. The teacher says one day you're going to die and I'm going to die and we're going to stand before a holy and righteous God and he is going to bring us into judgment. This is why in verse 10, he goes now from talking about the practice of rejoicing to the practice of removing in verse 10 of chapter 11, he says, Banish anxiety from your heart and cast off troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Now, on the surface, this seems like a lyric from Bobby Farron's song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. 
Anybody remember that song? My parents used to play it for me when I was worried. Didn't want to go to school. They'd play it. It's like, suddenly I just felt better, right? Like every now and then you have some trouble. And when you worry, what do you do? You make it double. So don't worry. Be happy. Thank you, Bobby Farron. Um, and that's what it seems like he's saying. But actually, it's not what he's saying. In fact, if you dive into this original language, here's what he's trying to get at. Simply put, what the teacher is saying in verse 10 is this. Deal with your junk while you're young. Because the older you get, the more it's going to cost you. The longer you let sin and corrupt desires go unchecked and unabated, the harder it's going to be for you to uproot that from your life. Most of you know I'm a gardener. Love to garden. And one of the things I've discovered about gardening is if you want to have a bountiful harvest, you have to get the weeds out of the garden. And you know when it's easiest to get weeds out of your garden? When the weeds are young, when they don't have a deep root system. But if you let those weeds stay, like, ah, it's just one weed, it becomes two, three, four, and they get older and they get bigger, and the roots go deeper and it gets harder and harder and harder just to get them out of the soil. And what the teacher is saying, man, that's the way sin works. That's the way that junk works inside of your heart. He says, therefore, banish anxiety now. Remove weeds in your heart now before it chokes out life. Before your marriage falls apart. Before the relationship blows up. Before you wound your kids deeply. Before marriage, right? Before all your life is just in shambles. Before you become enslaved by addiction. Before you are, you know, to the point beyond return. Pull up the weeds now. Work on the junk inside of you now. Remove the banish, the anxiety and troubles in your heart. He says, while you still can. And then look at what he says in chapter 12, verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Because life is short, because you're going to die and stand before God, right? In verse 8 through verse 9, he says, rejoice in your life. Verse 10, remove corrupt desires that choke out your life. And then finally, right, chapter 12, verse 1, remember your creator who gives life. It's so important that you do this. When he says remember your creator, by the way, you know what he's basically saying? Live with an awareness of God's presence in your everyday life. Says you want to live well, live with an awareness of God's presence in your everyday life. Walk in obedience to his commands. Take his word seriously. Seek first his kingdom. And don't wait till you're older. Don't wait till a different season of life. Don't wait when finally everything is just the way you want it. All the stars align. Like, no, be obedient to God right now. Like, trust God now. Remember your creator now. I remember whenever I was a teenager... And I would do stuff that I knew my parents didn't want me to do, things that were wrong, sinful. I would always make sure that I did it when I was not in their presence. I would never engage in some sort of immorality in the presence of my parents, at least not intentionally. And that's really the way sin works, not just when it comes to the presence of our parents, the presence of God. Like when we sin, what we are doing is we are trying to forget God. Rather than remembering God, we're trying to live outside of an awareness of his presence. And because the teacher knows how deadly this can be, he says, look, man, uh, because he knows that sin will take us ultimately down a path into destruction. He says, don't forget your creator today. Like, don't walk in disobedience today. Don't ignore the voice of God. Whatever he's telling you to do, don't ignore the voice of God today. Don't be flippant about those small, seemingly insignificant sins today. And one of the most heartbreaking things for me as a pastor is to watch couples go through divorce. 
We've seen it happen over and over the last 10 years. And, and, and here's what I've discovered. Like the reason couples end up getting divorced is never because of this big stuff that just happened out of nowhere, but rather it's small, seemingly simple decisions that over a period of time lead them into destruction. Skip a date night here. Take on another kids event over there to where now your marriage is centered around your children. Step out of community. Get out of DNA. Just little stuff that, especially in our culture, is so easy to justify. Small steps in the wrong direction that eventually lead us into a dark place that we look back and say, I never thought that I would be here. And so the teacher, because he knows this is true, he says, remember God today. Guys, pray today. Read your Bible today. Confess that sin, whatever that is, today. Plug into community today before hardship hits, before suffering comes. Remember your creator today. And then look at what he goes on to say. One of the ways we remember our creator is by remembering, when we remember that he's our creator, remember that we're his creation. Right? We remember that God's creator And when we do that, we remember we are his creation. As his creation, one of the things we remember because we live in a fallen, broken world is our bodies are going to break down. Like again, we are going to die. And that is what the the teacher wants to to set our hearts on this morning. So he gives us a poem in chapter 12, verse 2 through 5. And and I just want to read this to you guys. I'm just going to read you the Bible. Okay, so this is not my words. Like These are God's words. Like hear this being read over you. Again, chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure. Right? Remember your creator, verse 2. Remember him before the sun and the light and the moon. And, and, and what does he say? The, the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. What is he talking about here? He's starting to unpack the aging process that we will all go through. And he says, look, when you're young, your mind is sharp and you're witty, but the older you get, the more dull your mind's going to become. Like eventually you're going to lose your capacity to remember. So remember God while you can. Verse three, when the keepers of the house tremble and strong men stoop, he's talking here about how when you get older, your arms and your hands start to tremble. You ever see that elderly people? So like then like even simple tasks like tying your shoes or buttoning your shirt, like eventually that becomes almost impossible. When the grinders cease because they are few, what is he talking about here? Your teeth. Eventually he's like, you're not going to be able to eat corn on the cob anymore. Like like your teeth are going to fall out. Verse 3, those looking through the windows grow dim. Your eyesight's going to fail. Verse 4, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades and people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. What he's saying here is the older you get, the harder it gets to sleep. You get up multiple times and sometimes you just are tossing and turning. I got up at 3.30 this morning and could not go back to sleep. Everybody else in my house who's younger than me, by the way, slept fine. But I couldn't hardly sleep. So I'm already experiencing some of this. When the people are afraid of heights and, and of danger in the streets, what he's saying here is that the older you get, the faster the world moves. So even things like driving can become scary. That's going to happen at some point. When the almond tree blossoms, what he's saying here is your hair is going to turn white, or for some of you, it's just going to turn loose. I like this. When the grasshopper drags itself, that's a great image. He's just saying, like, you can maybe jump and run and you're vibrant and all that right now, but one day, like, you ain't going to be able to do any of that stuff. You ain't going to be able to do it. And desire is no longer stirred. In the Hebrew, that literally says, when the caperberry fails. Anybody know what a caperberry is? Uh, one person back there. A caperberry was an aphrodisiac in the ancient world. 
So literally, he's saying, uh, eventually, your aphrodisiacs won't even work anymore. Like, like your, your sexual desire is just going to fade away, just like everything else. And I think that's funny, by the way, that Solomon, uh, uh, which he's a dude that obviously loved women, um, this is the thing he put dead last. And so he has no teeth. He can't move. He can't see. He can't hear. Then he's not interested in sex anymore at that point. He's like, that was the last thing to go for me. <laughs> the poem then ends at, at your funeral. Verse 5, the people go to the eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Again, the teacher's not being more, but he's just trying to give us a perspective, a healthy perspective. He's trying to help us to live with the end in mind. Verse 6, remember him. Here it is again. Remember, 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 remember. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well. He's saying, look, your life's going to come to a crash and you can eat all the kale you want, do all the yoga you want, run, get fit, whatever. But eventually you're going to be broken beyond repair, at least beyond the ability for anybody here on earth to repair you. Like it's going to be it. And the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, everything is meaningless. Keep in mind who is saying this. A man who has done more than you'll ever be able to do and seen more than you'll ever see. He's had more money than you'll ever be able to compile, more success than you'll ever get. He's had more education than you'll ever get, more friends than you'll ever get. And he says, hey, you want to know what's going to make you happy? You want to know, is partying going to make my life better? He says, I threw epic parties. Will sex make my life better? He says, I had 300 wives and 700 sex slaves. Will comfort and ease give me joy? Be able to just kind of do what I want, when I want, not have to really be pushed beyond my limits. He said, man, I had people waiting on me hand and foot. Business, success, build my resume. Will that make me feel amazing when I finally get to that level? He says, look, I have gotten to the top of whatever mountain you're trying to climb. And I'm going to tell you, even if you could get there and you're not, you're not going to make it. But even if you could get to the top, he says, I've already been to the tippity top of that. And let me tell you, I'll just save you a trip. What's at the top of it is even if you get, could get there, it's all hevel. It's smoke. It's a chasing after the wind. It's a waste of your time. Don't build your life on it. So what do we do? We come to the end of Ecclesiastes. What's the great kind of wisdom that you have for us now in light of that reality? Well, he says, I'm glad you ask. Again, chapter 12, verse 13, look with your own eyes. Now all's been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. I had someone come to my office this week and said, what do you think my purpose is here on earth? That's a good purpose statement. He says, this is actually the duty of all mankind. Fear God, keep his commandments. Verse 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing. Uh-oh. Whether it is good or evil. You ever have one of those verses that you read and you say, that can't mean what it says. And then you just skip right over it and go to the next verse. That's a good one to do that with. That can't mean that, can it? Yep. It means exactly that. 
And here's the thing. This is not just a one-off. I did the math this week. There are 36 commands in the Old Testament to fear God. Well, that's the Old Testament, bro. That's the Old Covenant. What about the New Covenant? Well, I'm glad you asked. Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah here is talking about the day that Jesus, this is about Jesus, will usher in a new covenant and therefore provide a new way for us to relating to God. And listen to what Jeremiah says. I'll be honest, I've read the Bible through three or four times in my life. I don't know if I've ever noticed this verse before. Jeremiah 32, 38, new covenant. New covenant. They will be my people and I will be their God. And I will give them a singleness of heart and action so that they will always what? Fear me. When God gives you a new heart, you will always fear him. And then all will go well for them. Isn't that good news? You fear God, all is going to go well for you and for your children that come after you. Verse 40, I'm going to make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to do what? To reach great heights, to become awesome. I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. Hmm. Well, I thought fear was a bad thing. Not always. Not always. In fact, I would say the problem is not as humans that we fear. The problem is that we fear all the wrong things. God, we are so afraid. So afraid of loneliness, so afraid of rejection, of not being cool, so afraid of being bankrupt, so afraid that our kids aren't going to turn out well, so afraid of sickness, cancer, COVID, vaccines, death. We are afraid of so much. And according to the teachers, if there's anything you need to be afraid of, it's God. It's important that we get this because I'm telling you, growing up, in the church, I've heard, I can't tell you how many messages I've heard on the fear of God. And, and I, what I have heard mostly, at least for me, some of you maybe came or that was like hammered, but at least in the churches I grew up at, they would try to explain the fear away. And they'd say, well, it actually doesn't mean fear. It means reverence. Anybody else ever heard that? It means awe. It means respect. Well, that's funny because it says Fear. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I'll be the first to admit that. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I'm pretty sure, and Adam, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure there are words in the Hebrew that mean reverence and respect and awe, and that's not one of them. Uh, You don't need a seminary degree to figure this out. Fear means fear. Now, sure, like this doesn't mean that we cower before God as if he's like this angry, evil tyrant who's just waiting for you to mess up so he can zap you. Like, not at all. That's, That's not the kind of fear we're talking about, but it is a fear that I think at a bare minimum should resemble the fear I had of my dad growing up. I grew up in a home. Uh, it wasn't a perfect home, but it was a home where I knew I was loved. I knew I was loved by my dad. My dad and I would get up and play catch together. We would eat dinner together literally every night. My dad would help me if I needed help. I, I was sharing this with our uh, staff earlier this week, but I remember a time, I don't know if I ever told you this story, but 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 uh, right kind of out where I was turning to go to Rosewood, I accidentally cut a guy off on the highway and ticked the guy off, some older dude. 
And he lays on his horn. He just begins to follow me, like just right on my bumper. This is before I had a cell phone. And I didn't know my parents were home, but he's following me all the way home. And so I just start doing these little like circles, like a little racetrack around my house, around our little little street. And this guy just stays on me. I'm like 135 pounds at the time. I'm like 175 right now. So imagine this 40 pounds lighter, right? Like not super intimidating. And so I'm like, I get out of the car, I'm dead. And so I'm just sitting there going around and around and around. Apparently my dad was home. I didn't know it. He sees what's happening. I see my dad come out of the house. I pull over. When I do, this guy at first doesn't see my dad comes to me to come at me. And my dad says, get back in your truck right now and go home. And the guy said, all right. And he got in his truck and left. I was like, yeah, that's my dad, right? My dad was not perfect, but I knew my dad loved me and he would protect me and I was safe with him. But here's the deal. There were times where when I would get a line and my mom would say, you just wait till your dad gets home. And I'd straighten up because I knew what that meant. And I just share that with you to say, despite what the culture is going to tell you, love and fear are not mutually exclusive. They're not. Yes, you can rest today in the fact that God loves you. You can have confidence in the fact that God loves you, but you also have a healthy fear of what happens when you step out of line. My wife and I went to Bluff Falls in Indiana a couple of years ago. It was beautiful, a lot of waterfalls there. And there was no guardrails. And so, like, you could literally just, like, I mean, one stupid move, one bad step, and it's going to kill you. And so we're there, and you can see it on the screen, um, simultaneously inside of my chest was a lot of excitement, but also fear. Um, it was a moment that was beautiful and glorious, and we were the only ones there, so it was romantic, right? But it was also dangerous. And what the teacher is getting at is, look, man, like, when he says fear God and keep his commandments, he's saying, like, that's kind of the way your relationship with God works. Beautiful, glorious, romantic, dangerous. And the fact that you can't get flippant. There's nowhere in the Bible that says, eh, do whatever you want. It'll all be okay in the end. No, don't be disobedient. There's coming a day when you're going to die and you're going to give an account for everything you did, including the hidden stuff that you didn't think anybody else knew about. Jeez, Jared. (laughs) Should I be scared? I think so. Again, not in a way that we run and hide from God, but in a way that causes us to run to God who is the source of our happiness. The one who David says in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Listen to me very carefully and we're going to sing about this in just a moment. Do you know what happens when you fear God appropriately? All the other fears that have been controlling you begin to fade away. All the other fears you've been enslaved to, suddenly you become free of. And as a result, you experience joy and you experience peace and you experience pleasure. And so please hear this this morning. The fear of God is not something to be afraid of. Rather, this is something that is beautiful and it is necessary. Solomon says in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, this is the key to a life well lived. Why do we need to hear this so bad? Because we've lost the art of the fear of God in our generation. In my opinion, most of us are flippant and we are cavalier and Jesus is my homeboy, whatever that means. It is written, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Is God love? Sure he is. Of course he is, without a doubt. 
But again, fear and love are not mutually exclusive. One plays off of the other. It's why in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2 starts with this beautiful acknowledgement of how much God loves you, loves you so much that he gave up his own son to die for you. And then he says, therefore, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's interesting. God loves you. He sent his son Jesus to accomplish everything for you that you could never accomplish. If you have trusted in his life, death, and resurrection, you are saved, you are accepted, you are secure, you are now holy, you are loved. Therefore, he says, work out, not work for, and that's key, but work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What is he saying? The same thing the teacher is saying. Guys, now's not the time to get apathetic. Now's not the time to hit the cruise button. Don't get so busy pursuing your career and the American dream that you forget you're going to die. And you're going to stand before God and you, you, I won't be there on your behalf. Your spouse won't be there on your behalf. Your parents won't be there on your behalf. Your best friend won't be there. You will stand before God and you will give an account for the life that he has given you. And so Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is the key to fulfillment. It's what Jesus is getting at when he says, the world's going to be on a broad path. I want you on a narrow path. Because the narrow path, there's going to be sacrifice and things you're going to have to give up. You're going to say no to things that everybody else is saying yes to. And you're going to have to say yes to things everyone is saying no to. If you will stay on the narrow path, Jesus says, it will in the end lead you to life. And that's what Jesus has come to give you. Jesus today wants to give you life. In John 10, 10, He says, the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what Satan wants to do to you and your family and everything that you have. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come so you may have life and have it abundantly. Guys, and listen, that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is pointing us to. That's the whole point of Ecclesiastes. It's to point us to Jesus. It's to say, listen, you will never find fulfillment in things under the sun, but you will find fulfillment in the sun, in Jesus Christ. He alone is your salvation and your satisfaction. And so stop building your life on things that will never give you fulfillment. Build your life on Jesus. And today, to help us do that, as we come to the end of our series and end of this service, <clears throat> I want us to remember what Jesus has done for us. And here's what I want you to think about as you partake of communion. Can I, let's be honest. We all forget God all the time. I do. I do. I work for the church. I don't know if you knew that. That's my full-time job. I'm a pastor. And even as a pastor, there are days I can be here working for God, but forget about God. But that's not where my hope is. My hope is in the reality that even though I forget about God, God never forgets about me. And so as we come and we partake of the gospel today, let's remember that God remembers us. He remembers you. Do you know in Isaiah, Isaiah has this crazy image. He says that your name is tattooed on the hand of God. I've got a tattoo on the back of my arm. I forget about it all the time because I can't see it. If I had a tattoo on my hand, it would be a little weird, but I'd never forget it. What Isaiah is saying is, your name is on the hand of God. He never forgets you. You're always before his eyes. And he loves you. We know that he loves you, and we know that he remembers you and, and us because he gave us his son, Jesus. And that's what we come to celebrate. And you know what? Because of what Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection... We can actually leave here today and not be even more melancholy about the fact that we're going to die because you know what death is for a Christian? Death is not our executioner. It's our gardener. It only frees us up to experience an even greater life. That's why Paul could say, 
to live as Christ and to die as gain. So let's remember that reality today. Life can begin now and life will really begin in Christ after this life.